times a year, Sai, our team rector, plans the services for the uh, following three months, and uh, he sends a rota round to those of us that are preaching and leading the services, and uh, usually there are a number of sermon series that run through each quarter. And uh, the, the current series that we're in is a, is a short one for three Sundays on the subject of generosity. Uh, Chris Bradley kicked us off last week, and Sai will be finishing the series next week. But when I looked at the passage for the morning that Sai had selected, I wondered whether he'd made a mistake, because it doesn't say anything about generosity at all. Um, in the New International Version of the Bible that we use in church, the section that we're looking at this morning is titled, Paul's Charge to Timothy. And as you may know, Timothy was a, a young Christian who'd been trained by Paul, and he was looking after the church in a place called Ephesus. And this book of the Bible is a letter from Paul to Timothy, encouraging him in his ministry. And this passage comes near the end of the letter, and Paul is urging Timothy to stay on track and not to become distracted from the things that are most important. He tells him to focus his attention on righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And he tells him to fight the good fight. That is, to contend for the faith against those who oppose it, and also to live in his own life in a way which glorifies God. But this section is sandwiched between two others with issues relating to money. Verses 3 to 10, which Chris Bradley covered last week, talks about the importance of godliness and contentment and of the dangers of having an unhealthy love of money. And verses 17 to 21, which I will be speaking on next week, is an exhortation to the rich to be generous and to look to God for their security and not to money. So the question is, well, how does this passage that we're looking at this morning relate to these other two that are either side of it? You know, has Paul gone off on a bit of a tangent? Is he just kind of, at the end of the letter, scribbling down random thoughts that he thought might be helpful to Timothy? Well, I... I think if you know anything about Paul, he tends not to work like that. He's very, uh, very rational and logical in his thought process. And I'd like to suggest that there's no discontinuity in Paul's thinking, because when the Bible talks about money, it doesn't talk just about money. Because money is like a kind of spiritual barometer. Uh, I don't have many family heirlooms, but uh, when my parents died, I did inherit from them a barometer. Um, it's not a very sort of valuable um, antique or anything like that, but it has a certain sentimental value, and we have it on the wall in our hallway. And you know, a barometer measures air pressure, and that gives a bit of an insight into what's going on with the weather. It tells you something that you can't tell just by opening the door and looking out. You know, sometimes you can say, oh, well, it looks like it's going to rain, but you can't tell what the air pressure is necessarily. And in the same way, what we think about our money and what we do with our money tells us a lot about our spiritual health. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Last week, Chris spoke to us about tithing, about giving 10% of our income, and suggested that we should view that as a floor and not a ceiling. That is a minimum, not a maximum. He talked about sacrificial giving, and he encouraged us to be so generous that it's scary. 
But these things don't come naturally to us, do they? The idea of giving away so much money that we may not have enough left to live on is one which most people would think was completely crazy. God's way of handling money doesn't make any sense to us unless the Holy Spirit has changed our hearts. And what we do with our money is not primarily an economic question. It's a spiritual one. And that's why I think after warning Timothy to steer clear of the love of money, Paul goes on to encourage him to focus on his spiritual life. In verse 11, the first verse that uh, Yvonne read to us, he says, but you, man of God, flee from all this. That's the love of money that he was talking about before. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So this morning I'd like us to look briefly at each of those qualities which Paul encouraged Timothy to focus on. First, he talks about righteousness and godliness. In the other reading that Dawn read to us, we heard Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount saying, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says that if we put God first then he will provide all that we need. Or to put it another way, as we focus our attention on becoming more like Jesus, then we will become more free from worries about money. And of course, that makes us a lot more likely to be generous. Our dear friend uh, Michael Burke, who died a few months ago, uh, used to say that he he was woken up by his alarm clock at 6.30 each morning. And often as he sort of came to and woke up, he would glance across at the clock and it would be displaying 6.33. And he said that always made him think of this verse, Matthew 6.33, which is the last verse that I just read from the Sermon on the Mount. Quite a well-known verse. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And righteousness and godliness are the foundations of a healthy attitude towards money. And they're not just negative qualities. As we become more righteous, more godly, it doesn't mean just that the list of things that we don't do gets longer and longer. God is a very generous God. So as we become more like him, we will inevitably inevitably become more generous. Then secondly, Paul tells Timothy to pursue faith. If we find our security in money then it means whenever we give any of it away, we threaten our security. But if our security is in God, then that frees If we live by faith, then we're just as secure, no matter how much money we give away. It is hard to be generous, isn't it, if we're worried about money. If we're spending all our time worrying about how to pay the bills, then being generous is not going to figure very highly in our thinking. Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, it said, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? 
Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field... They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So Jesus says that faith is the antidote to worry. And as we grow in faith, we become more able to trust God to provide for us. And the sense of security that that gives us liberates us to be generous. It's often said that you cannot outgive God. I think plenty of Christians have had fun living their lives trying to outgive God and enjoying failing. Then thirdly, Paul tells Timothy to pursue love. Jesus said that the whole of God's law can be summed up in two big principles. Love God and love people. That's really what the Christian life is all about. And in the previous section of the chapter, Paul warned Timothy that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And he tells Timothy to flee from it. Because if we love money, then sooner or later it's going to get in the way of our love for God and for other people. How many people have pursued financial success and neglected their families in the process? How many of us, maybe, have seen marriages and families fall apart because we've been too preoccupied with careers and with the financial rewards that they can bring? Rob Parsons, who's founder of the Christian charity Care for the Family, has done a lot of speaking to groups of successful business people about the importance of their families. And he said that in all the contact that he's had with these people who've made it big in business, there's one thing that nobody has ever said to him. And that is, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. But he said plenty of them have looked back on their careers and said, you know, I wish I'd spent more time with my family. Freeing ourselves from the love of money liberates us to love God and to love other people. And part of that is that it frees us to be generous because generosity is a mark of love. That brings us to the fourth quality which Paul tells Timothy to pursue. Endurance. Now you might be thinking you're going to need that this morning. But stick with me. Got a good joke at the end. Now you might wonder how that fits in with what Paul is saying about generosity and avoiding the love of money. But the Bible says a lot about perseverance and steadfastness and pressing on. And living as a Christian in an increasingly unchristian country can be difficult, can't it? It needs stickability and hard work. And it will involve an element of discomfort. But one of the factors which drives a love of money very often is a desire for comfort, isn't it? Our lifestyle here in the Western world must be the most comfortable that any people have ever enjoyed at any time in human history. I realize that we've not eradicated pain and discomfort, but we are far better off, aren't we, in those respects 
than at any time in the past. And of course, it's not a bad thing to be comfortable, but it is a bad thing to get too comfortable. Last week, Chris talked about being so generous that it's scary. And to live like that is going to need some endurance. It needs some determination to stick with it when money gets tight. To trust God. Not to cut back on giving when we can't see where the money's going to come from. I'm all in favor of having central heating and comfortable seats in church. But there's a sense in which coming to church should always involve an element of discomfort. Not so much physical discomfort, but the discomfort that comes from being challenged by God as we take his word seriously. And that brings us to the final quality that Paul refers to, gentleness. If we look back on the history of this country, and particularly, say, at the Industrial Revolution, uh, the lives of the people who made fortunes from the canals, the railways, the mines, the mills, I think it would be true to say it, that there was more evidence in their lives of a love of money than there was of gentleness and kindness towards other people. There were some exceptions, of course, but a desire to make a fortune is more often accompanied by ruthlessness and exploitation than it is by kindness. That's why we have the fair trade movement, because the natural tendency of powerful people who want to make money is to exploit those who work for them. Gentleness and kindness and the love of money seldom go together. And however much money we have, we can either grasp hold of it tightly to make sure we keep as much as possible for ourselves, or we can hold on to it gently, being ready to let it go when God prompts us. So I'd like to close this morning with a joke. Uh, I've told this joke before, so apologies if you've heard it before, but uh, it's one of my favorite jokes, and the reason I like it is, is because it's really a kind of a parable. It's about a man who loved money so much that uh, it wasn't until it was too late that he realized that he'd missed out on what was most important. So there was a very, very rich man, and uh, one day his doctor told him that he only had a few months to live, and he was very upset. Not so much the prospect of dying, but the prospect of leaving all his money behind. So he started to pray that God would allow him to take it with him. And one night as he was praying, an angel appeared at the foot of his bed and said, The Lord has heard your prayer. When you arrive at heaven, you will be allowed to take one suitcase into heaven. And the man was ecstatic. And he went out and he sold all his houses and his cars and his jet and his yacht and cashed in all his shares. And he bought a huge number of gold bars and a very large suitcase. And he duly died and arrived at the gates of heaven with his suitcase. And Peter opened the door and uh, he said, Ah, I said, yes, do come in, we've been expecting you. And then he saw the suitcase. He said, Oh, I'm terribly sorry, you'll have to leave that outside. Very strict rules, no one brings anything into heaven. The man said, It's all right, I've got special permission. Peter said, Oh yeah, I've never heard that one before. He said, No, no, really. Could you, mind, could you go and check? A few moments later, Peter came back shaking his head in disbelief. He said, well, it seems you're right. You better bring it in. Now, if you know Peter, he's very impetuous. And, of course, he can't contain his curiosity. So he, says, he said, 
I've been doing this job for thousands of years and no one has ever been allowed to bring anything into heaven. Can I ask you, what is in the suitcase? Do you mind if I have a look? And the man said, no, not at all. Flipped the catch open and it was so full it burst open and all the gold bars spilled out onto the ground. And Peter was absolutely stunned. And he stood there open-mouthed looking at all these gold bars. And then he said, you know you're the first person ever to be allowed to bring anything into heaven. And all you can bring is a few bits of pavement. <laughs>